Welcome to Catholic Light. Join me, Becca Doherty, each week as we shed a little light while keeping the conversation light. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Catholic Light. On today's episode, we begin part two, section two, which goes through each of the seven sacraments, and we start, as you might imagine, with baptism, which, as God would have it, just coincides beautifully with uh, my youngest daughter, Lucy Regina, just having been baptized last week. So I love it when those things happen, when when God ordains the timing of things, um, and uh, just brings together these, these beautiful dimensions of life. So we'll talk today about the sacrament of baptism and one of my favorite themes, or one of my favorite dimensions of our Catholic faith, which is that it's in the the quiet, the humble, the hidden, the mundane, the boring moments of life uh, when we're faithful to those tasks, those projects, we're present to those moments. Um, God brings about great things, beautiful things in our souls, and God willing in the, the souls and lives of others. So we begin by talking about a little place called Medjugorje. Um, You might be familiar with Medjugorje. It's a a small village in Bosnia and Herzegovina, and it is a modern-day Marian apparition site. So the Blessed Mother throughout church history has appeared in a number of places throughout the world um, to different people and um, given often the same message, the same beautiful, simple message, which is return to her son, Um, through prayer, through fasting, through uh, being faithful to attending the sacraments. And um, God will continue to work in and through us in and through these these simple moments of life. So um, my my parents experienced through a trip to Medjugorje, a pilgrimage to Medjugorje, a deepening of their Catholic faith. And as a result, uh, long story short, they ended up opening a, a Catholic book and gift store And then through the store, they continued to bring pilgrims, to bring groups of people for years, for decades, to Medjugorje. And um, one of the the talks you'll hear in Medjugorje, one of the messages that's that's shared is to use the five stones we have at our fingertips um, against the, the Goliaths of life. So in life, we each encounter suffering, um, we encounter trials, and we have at our fingertips uh, these five stones as David, little David, uh, took up five stones or five pebbles against the giant Goliath and ultimately defeated him. So these five stones are five things that we are encouraged to use in our daily lives to defeat um, sin and uh, darkness and, and the trials that we encounter our uh, attendance to regular attendance to regular attendance of mass going to confession monthly uh, reading scripture regularly daily prayer of the rosary and then fasting uh, the tradition of the church is to fast on bread and water on wednesdays and fridays and so you'll hear um, people in medjugorje often um, priests at the local parish Um, the visionaries, those who have been receiving these Marian apparitions, and now, you know, the the townspeople of Medjugorje will encourage pilgrims and each other to take up these five stones, these five simple things, um, as great weapons in our lives um, to, you know, uh, battle the the things that we face. So, um, 
these five stones or these five things, going to mass, going to confession, reading scripture, praying the rosary and fasting, are all simple, but they're so efficacious. And sadly, um, even though they're simple and at our fingertips, we, we don't use them. And uh, similarly, uh, you know, people will say like, you know, the, the Blessed Mother, why does she keep appearing and basically saying the same thing? It seems like each time she appears, she says, you know, pray, fast, go to Mass, go to confession, return to my son. And, um, you know, we, I can joke about it, but sadly, it's because we don't do those things. Um, and so we need to be reminded again and again and again to do them because while they're not necessarily glamorous, um, or don't always, you know, feel exciting. Uh, they are effective and, um, you know, bring about grace in our lives and uh, God willing, grace in our relationships, our families, and the lives of others. I like to say that um, the Catholic faith, practicing the Catholic faith, it's not easy, but it's simple. Okay, it's pretty straightforward. Um, there's nothing. I don't think that's too complex. However, it's not e it's simple, but it's not easy. So it's not always easy to you know wake up and go to mass. It's not always easy to you know fit going to confession into your schedule, or even to you know get yourself in the confessional and and say these these sins that I've committed that are might be embarrassing or are hard to to say to the priest in the confessional. But again, they're effective. Um, they bring about beautiful things in our lives. Um, I had this one moment with one of my classes where the kids were complaining, it was a, a class of sophomores, they were complaining that um, you know, class was boring and we were just taking notes and you know, learning these things that weren't really that, that uh, exciting and could we just have a party because you know, we hadn't had a party that year and you know, other classes had parties and you know, I was Miss Pine at the time, Miss Pine, could we please just have a party? And so I said, um, I said, you know what, we can. And they were like, oh my gosh, this is great. I said, what we're going to do is we're going to take out our notebooks and we are going to have a note-taking party. And they're like, oh my gosh. I said, and then you guys are going to go home and you're going to have a studying party and it's going to be so awesome. And then you're going to come back to class tomorrow and we, as a class, are going to have a test-taking party. <laughs> they're like, oh my gosh. Meanwhile, I'm cracking myself up in the, the front of the class. Um, but I think it's, it's analogous, or we could use that as an analogy for, for our faith life in that, um, you know, it's not always a party. There, our, our lives are, um, thank God, sprinkled with, with parties or like beautiful, exciting moments along the way. But a lot of it is, uh, again, being faithful to taking notes and studying and taking those tests and then taking those tests again and studying some more and then, God willing, reaping the benefits of that and, in the case of studying the Catholic faith, um, it's not just, you know, I told the kids, you know, guess what your takeaway is. It's not only knowledge, like you'll get in a math class or an English class, but you'll have the tools to, God willing, live a blessed or happy life. So not only do we learn about confession and we learn about the Eucharist, but we can then go to confession and be forgiven of our sins. We can receive the Eucharist, the body, blood, soul, divinity of Jesus Christ, of God himself, have that blessed life come into our bodies, our souls, and uh, purify us, strengthen us, nourish us. We were at Mass, uh, daily Mass, one day last week, and my son Declan turned to me after... Um, 
you know, that moment where the priest holds up the Eucharist and we respond by saying, uh, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. Well, Declan turned to me, he said, what's a roof? <laughs> so it's that thing on the top of the house. He goes, why are we asking Jesus to come under our roof? And so I explained, you know, we are like little temples or houses for Jesus and what a gift to be able to receive him into our house where he can live and you know do his good work in each of us and in our lives. So not only um, in, in studying and in listening to this podcast, learning more about the Catholic faith, do we gain knowledge, um, but we, God willing, receive the tools to put that knowledge, that understanding into practice and then, as the first paragraph of the Catechism says, which I love to quote, um, we get, a, get to be sharers in God's own blessed life or partakers of this own blessed or happy life. So this incredible faith is often cloaked in simplicity, boringness, I don't think that's a word, or mundaneness. I'd like to say mundanity. That seems like it should be a word, but I don't think it is. Um, so that it, it's almost like an invitation to us to, or I imagine sometimes God saying to us, like, are you strong enough to persevere through the boring? Are you brave enough to conquer the mundane and make it to the glory on the other side? Now, by the grace of God, he gives us the grace to navigate that. Like, it's not up to us and our, you know, if we can just be strong enough or brave enough or smart enough to see through the boring, the mundane, the simple. Um, but God gives us the grace to, to persevere. And if we respond to that grace and kind of make it through that initial, I would say, like gateway of uh, what's not glamorous or as exciting as, as other dimensions of life, then we get to receive the glory on the other side. Uh, we reap the benefits of um, having persevered. In addition to saying that that class was boring, my students would often say, like, you know, church is boring. Or like, why do we have to go to mass? It's so boring. Um, and I found this, I would often put like little Catholic memes on my worksheets and tests. And I found this meme where it was, um, someone had painted what uh, he imagined was actually going on around the altar at mass, uh, specifically at the consecration. And as the, you see the priest elevating the host at the altar, um, all around the picture, all around the host is um, our angels and saints and even the souls in purgatory um, bowing before the Blessed Sacrament. And the meme said, Mass is boring at the top. And at the bottom it said, said no saint, angel, or soul in purgatory ever. Like if we could really see what was going on, um, this, this simple bread and wine becoming the body and blood of, of Jesus Christ, God entering into our timeline once again and allowing us to receive him, we would just be wowed and um, I think would, would be running to Mass every day. One of my favorite books by C.S. Lewis is called The Great Divorce. And um, the divorce simply means the, the separation between heaven and hell. Um, in this book, uh, the narrator goes through, he traverses heaven and meets all these, these different characters. And one of the characters whom he meets is named Sarah Smith. And it's, uh, as he's walking through, at one point, a forest, that this radiant light starts kind of coming through the trees and um, you know he realizes that there, there's different spirits kind of singing and dancing ahead of 
this woman who's about to process by him. And for a moment, he thinks, or it kind of intimates that this might be the Blessed Mother because she is so beautiful, so glorious, and so revered um, by those in attendance around her. But as you continue reading, you come to, to learn that this is uh, a woman named Sarah Smith who was, um, you know, didn't, didn't necessarily live a, a glamorous or, or famous life. Um, but she lived a good life. She was kind, she was generous, and as a result, um, she, her, the beauty in her soul was now clearly seen in heaven. So I, I like this anecdote, this fictional anecdote, for a couple reasons. One, because it shows that um, through small, simple, but consistent and persevering acts of kindness and generosity, um, we are brought to heaven by the grace of God. Secondly, it shows that it's not as though she did good things and so she was rewarded, like do X, Y, and Z, and then God says like, okay, now you can come into heaven and I'll give you a beautiful throne and a lovely white gown and all these other spirits to attend to you, to sing and dance around you as you process through the forest. The the way that C.S. Lewis presents it instead is that... um, This is simply what her soul looks like. We couldn't see it on earth, but she was just as glorious, just as beautiful, um, but but that was kind of shrouded or hidden um, because our our world is marked by sin and suffering and the results of original sin. And then in heaven, so in heaven, um, all of that was pulled back and we we were simply able to see what she was actually like. So it's not as though she, she did good things and now she's rewarded. She was doing good things on earth and that made her, her soul, her life a certain way and now in heaven we're able to see that. And so again, there's something kind of cool about the way God sets it up in that he could arrange it in such a way that as we live virtuous lives, um, we see the effects of of those virtuous actions in our souls and, you know, on our faces and in our lives. Um, but it's often, it often remains a little hidden. Um, you know, we don't see the, we don't see the full picture until God willing, we're, we're in heaven. And so again, I think that's a challenge to, to persevere. Um, he, he gives us little glimpses along the way. Um, but if we can, you know, trust in those glimpses, trust in his word, ultimately, his promises, and uh, persevere, then, then we too could all be like uh, Sarah Smith in The Great Divorce, uh, processing you know, through the forest, radiant in our, our white gowns on a throne, you know, surrounded by delightful music and, and uh, you know, those whom we, we loved along the way. So this brings us to our discussion of, of baptism. Um, Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 1213, talks about baptism as the gateway to life in the spirit. So in being baptized, we are then, our lives are then opened up to life in the spirit. Um, And along with that, an incredible abundance of, of graces and blessings and opportunities. Paragraph 1213 says, Holy baptism is the basis of the whole Christian life, the gateway to life in the spirit and the door which gives access to the other sacraments. Through baptism, we are freed from sin and reborn as sons of God. We become members of Christ. 
are incorporated into the church and made sharers in her mission. Baptism is the sacrament of regeneration through water and in the word. So Lucy was just baptized. It was a beautiful day. Um, and uh, from outward, from someone on the outside looking in, one might say like, oh, like that's cute. It was a family celebration. You know, family and friends gathered together. There was a white gown. There was a candle. You know, there were, there were prayers over Lucy. And then, you know, we went down to the church basement. We ate cake and, and um, you know, congratulated little Luce on her, her big day. Um, but what's actually happening, this gateway to life in the spirit, is, is so much more than we could see that day. Um, it's as though uh, the, this incredible bomb of beauty was dropped into her soul, her life, and God willing, it will unfold, continue to play out from now until eternity. We know that at baptism, we are cleansed of original sin and receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Are, we're opened up to then receive the other sacraments and all that God wants to do in and through us in the other sacraments. Um, but the catechism here beautifully details some of the other things going on and how the Old Testament foreshadows what baptism then brings to fulfillment. Um, so these, these Old Testament types um, our prefigurations of baptism in the New Testament give us a little more insight into what the sacrament is actually affecting in our souls, in our lives. Paragraph 1218 says, Since the beginning of the world, water, so humble and wonderful a creature. Which is cool to pause and think for a moment, or reflect for a moment on the fact that, oh right, water is something created by God. It's a creature. Water has been the source of life and fruitfulness. Uh, sacred scripture sees it as overshadowed by the spirit of God, skipping down a little bit, making the waters into a wellspring of all holiness. So as water was poured over Lucy's head, um, she's invited into this wellspring of holiness that, that God willing will continue to well up in her and her life. Paragraph 1219 goes on to say, the church has seen in Noah's Ark a prefiguring of salvation by baptism. For by it a few, that is eight persons, were saved through water. The waters of the great flood, you made a sign of the waters of baptism that make an end of sin and a new beginning of goodness. So in Lucy's life, in that small half-hour baptismal ceremony, um, there was made an end of sin and a new beginning of goodness in her life. Um, skipping over to paragraph 1221, but above all, the crossing of the Red Sea, Literally, the liberation of Israel from the slavery of Egypt announces the liberation wrought by baptism. So you freed the children of Abraham from the slavery of Pharaoh, bringing them dry shod through the waters of the Red Sea to be an image of the people set free in baptism. So Lucy was set free in baptism. And then finally, paragraph 1222, baptism is prefigured in the crossing of the Jordan River by which the people of God received the gifts of the land promised to Abraham's descendants, an image of eternal life. So Lucy, through her baptism, was invited to share in um, this inheritance of eternal life. So God has invited her as he invites each and every one of us to share in his blessed life, eternal life, which begins not, you know, once we die, as we have to imagine heaven to, to start beginning. Um, but even now, eternity extends both ways on the timeline, and so she has been invited into that eternal life, which begins even now at, at four months old. And so it looked like a simple family gathering uh, 
to baptize a, a, a little baby, actually held much more below the surface. Um, so if we could, if we could see past the, the simple, the, the mundane, the everyday, we would see that um, this wellspring of holiness was coming up in the life of this, this child, that she was entering into an end of sin and a new beginning of goodness. She was being liberated. She was entering into the promised land or receiving her inheritance of eternal life. So, as we go to baptisms and other sacraments, uh, let's try to remember that just past the, the veneer of, of simplicity and, you know, all that comes along with, with Catholic traditions or all the misnomers of Catholic traditions, you know, mass is boring and why do we have to do this and why does God say that? Uh, there's just this, this whole world of, of beauty and grace um, right there for us. Years ago, uh, my nieces went to see Santa down in Philadelphia. My sister and brother-in-law have, have three girls, and the youngest of the girls was born in August, and so around Christmas time, when all three are sitting on Santa's lap and he's asking them, you know, um, you know, what do you want for Christmas, and how have you been this year? The two older sisters announced, we got our little sister baptized this year. And Santa was like, oh, great. Okay, congratulations. Good job. And I, th I think that's so beautiful because that, that's exactly what we should, re we should be reporting to Santa and to other people that, um, you know, my family member, my sister, my daughter got baptized. She was liberated from sin. She received her inheritance of eternal life. Um, we often take these things for granted because it's, you know, you have a baby, you get him or her baptized, but it is just uh, life-changing. It's incredible. And if we could see like in the fictional example of Sarah Smith, what is actually going on in the souls of those who are receiving the sacraments, we would just be flying to the sacraments each day. Um, when our first child was baptized, Sophia, a family friend got her as a gift, this picture frame that said at the bottom, best day ever. And when we first opened it, we're like, oh, that's so sweet. And then the more we thought about it, and after having put a picture of all those who came to her baptism that day, um, we realized, like, this is a great baptismal gift and a great tradition to carry on with our other children, getting them each their own best day ever frame and then putting a picture of, of them in their baptismal robe and, and uh, everyone who came to the, the ceremony that day. Um, because it is the best day ever. It's the day that we're cleansed from original sin and our lives are opened to the life of grace, um, this, this gateway to life in the Spirit. And so, um, moving forward from this episode, uh, practically speaking, um, let's go to the sacraments. So you'll find that as we continue through part two, section two, my practical advice in many, if not all, of the episodes will be, go to the sacraments, go to the Eucharist, go to confession, um, you know, receive all the graces that God has in store for us. But uh, I, again, just as, as you have the opportunity, as we have the opportunity to go to the sacraments, let's think of it in terms of um, like, uh, you know, a homework party or a test-taking party at which my students might roll their eyes. Uh, we're invited to a Eucharist party, to a confession party, which, which might not seem that glamorous. Mass can be really boring. Confession can be intimidating. Um, but if we, if we could see below the surface, it, it's a party. Um, our grace, uh, a party of, of grace, you know, 
infiltrating our, our hearts and souls, our minds, our bodies, our lives, and um, making us new and making us uh, more beautiful in a sense uh, from the inside out. Secondly, practically speaking, let's choose one mundane task uh, we have this week. So whether it's um, you know patiently commuting to work or uh, helping our kids brush their teeth before bedtime when everyone's tired and just wants to get in bed or um, I don't know, finishing up that project at work or you know being kind and patient with maybe a, a nosy or annoying neighbor. Um, let's think of that mundane task as the thing which is helping to beautify our souls. Um, so we can think of, of carrying out that task like going to the gym for our souls or going to the spa for our souls um, and allowing it to, again, be beautify our souls and our lives and, and open us up to receive that grace um, so that God can, can take up residence and and help us to participate in that blessed, that happy life that he has for each of us. So we'll end the first half of our episode there, take a brief break, and then we'll return on the second half of the episode to read paragraphs 1210 through 1245. Thanks for sticking with me. You are listening to Catholic Light. Thank you for joining me each week as we read through the Catechism of the Catholic Church and discuss some of its beautiful teachings. Hi, and welcome back. We'll now read the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs 1210 through 1245. Section 2, The Seven Sacraments of the Church. Christ instituted the sacraments of the new law. There are seven. Baptism, confirmation or chrismation, the Eucharist, penance, the anointing of the sick, holy orders, and matrimony. The seven sacraments touch all the stages and all the important moments of Christian life. They give birth and increase, healing and mission to the Christian's life of faith. There is thus a certain resemblance between the stages of natural life and the stages of the spiritual life. Following this analogy, the first chapter will expound the three sacraments of Christian initiation. The second, the sacraments of healing, and the third, the sacraments of the service of communion and the mission of the faithful. This order, while not the only one possible, does allow one to see that the sacraments form an organic whole in which each particular sacrament has its own vital place. In this organic whole, the Eucharist occupies a unique place as the sacrament of sacraments. All the other sacraments are ordered to it as to their end. Chapter 1, The Sacraments of Christian Initiation. The sacraments of Christian initiation, baptism, confirmation, and the Eucharist, lay the foundations of every Christian life. The sharing in the divine nature given to men through the grace of Christ bears a certain likeness to the origin, development, and nourishing of natural life. The faithful are born anew by baptism, strengthened by the sacrament of confirmation, and receive in the Eucharist the food of eternal life. By means of these sacraments of Christian initiation, they thus receive in increasing measure the treasures of the divine life and advance toward the perfection of charity. Article 1, the Sacrament of Baptism. Holy baptism is the basis of the whole Christian life, the gateway to life in the Spirit, and the door which gives access to the other sacraments. Through baptism, we are freed from sin and were born as sons of God. We become members of Christ, are incorporated into the Church, and made sharers in her mission. 
Baptism is the sacrament of regeneration through water and in the word. What is this sacrament called? This sacrament is called baptism, after the central rite by which it is carried out. To baptize means to plunge or immerse. The plunge into the water symbolizes the catechumen's burial into Christ's death, from which he rises up by resurrection with him as a new creature. This sacrament is also called the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, for it signifies and actually brings about the birth of water and the spirit without which no one can enter the kingdom of God. This bath is called enlightenment because those who receive this catechetical instruction are enlightened in their understanding. Having received in baptism the word, the true light that enlightens every man, the person baptized has been enlightened. He becomes a son of light. Indeed, he becomes light himself. Baptism is God's most beautiful and magnificent gift. We call it gift, grace, anointing, enlightenment, garment of immortality, bath of rebirth, seal, and most precious gift. It is called gift because it is conferred on those who bring nothing of their own. Grace, since it is given even to the guilty. Baptism, because sin is buried in the water. Anointing, for it is priestly and royal, as are those who are anointed. Enlightenment, because it radiates light. Clothing, since it veils our shame. Bath, because it washes. And seal, as it is our guard and the sign of God's lordship. Baptism in the economy of salvation. Prefigurations of baptism in the Old Covenant. In the liturgy of the Easter Vigil, during the blessing of the baptismal water, the Church solemnly commemorates the great events in salvation history that already prefigured the mystery of baptism. Father, you give us grace through sacramental signs, which tell us of the wonders of your unseen power. In baptism, we use your gift of water, which you have made a rich symbol of the grace you give us in this sacrament. Since the beginning of the world, water, so humble and wonderful a creature, has been the source of life and fruitfulness. Sacred scripture sees it as overshadowed by the Spirit of God. At the very dawn of creation, your Spirit breathed on the waters, making them the wellspring of all holiness. The church has seen in Noah's Ark a prefiguring of salvation by baptism, for by it a few, that is eight persons, were saved through water. The waters of the great flood you made a sign of the waters of baptism, that make an end of sin and a new beginning of goodness. If water springing up from the earth symbolizes life, the water of the sea is a symbol of death, and so can represent the mystery of the cross. By this symbolism, baptism signifies communion with Christ's death. But above all, the crossing of the Red Sea, literally the liberation of Israel from the slavery of Egypt, announces the liberation wrought by baptism. You freed the children of Abraham from the slavery of Pharaoh, bringing them dry shod through the waters of the Red Sea, to be an image of the people set free in baptism. Finally, baptism is prefigured in the crossing of the Jordan River, by which the people of God received the gift of the land promised to Abraham's descendants, an image of eternal life. The promise of this blessed inheritance is fulfilled in the new covenant. Christ's baptism. All the old covenant prefigurations find their fulfillment in Christ Jesus. He begins his public life after having himself baptized by St. John the Baptist in the Jordan. After his resurrection, Christ gives this mission to his apostles. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Our Lord voluntarily submitted himself to the baptism of St. John, intended for sinners, in order to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus' gesture is a manifestation of his self-emptying. 
The Spirit, who had hovered over the waters of the first creation, descended then on the Christ as a prelude of the new creation, and the Father revealed Jesus as his beloved Son. In his Passover, Christ opened to all men the fountain of baptism. He had already spoken of his passion, which he was about to suffer in Jerusalem, as a baptism with which he had to be baptized. The blood and water that flowed from the pierced side of the crucified Jesus are types of baptism and the Eucharist, the sacraments of new life. From then on, it is possible to be born of water and the Spirit in order to enter the kingdom of God. See where you are baptized. See where baptism comes from, if not from the cross of Christ, from his death. There is the whole mystery. He died for you. In him you are redeemed. In him you are saved. Baptism in the church. From the very day of Pentecost, the church has celebrated and administered holy baptism. Indeed, St. Peter declares to the crowd, astounded by his preaching, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The apostles and their collaborators offer baptism to anyone who believed in Jesus, Jews, the God-fearing, pagans. Always, baptism is seen as connected with faith. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. St. Paul declared to his jailer in Philippi, and the narrative continues. The jailer was baptized at once with all his family. According to the Apostle Paul, the believer enters through baptism into communion with Christ's death, is buried with him, and rises with him. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The baptized have put on Christ. Through the Holy Spirit, baptism is a bath that purifies, justifies, and sanctifies. Hence, baptism is a bath of water in which the imperishable seed of the Word of God produces its life-giving effect. St. Augustine says of baptism, the Word is brought to the material element and it becomes a sacrament. How is the sacrament of baptism celebrated? Christian Initiation from the time of the apostles, becoming a Christian has been accomplished by a journey and initiation in several stages. This journey can be covered rapidly or slowly, but certain essential elements will always have to be present. Proclamation of the word, acceptance of the gospel entailing conversion, profession of faith, baptism itself, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and admission to Eucharistic communion. This initiation has varied greatly through the centuries according to circumstances. In the first centuries of the church, Christian initiation saw considerable development. A long period of catechumenate included a series of preparatory rites, which were liturgical landmarks along the path of catechumenal preparation and culminated in the celebration of the sacraments of Christian initiation. Where infant baptism has become the form in which the sacrament is usually celebrated, it has become a single act encapsulating the preparatory stages of Christian initiation in a very abridged way. By its very nature, infant baptism requires a post-baptismal catechumenate. Not only is there a need for instruction after baptism, but also for the necessary flowering of baptismal grace and personal growth. The catechism has its proper place here. The Second Vatican Council restored for the Latin Church the catechumenate for adults, comprising several distinct steps. The rites for these stages are to be found in the Rite of Christian Initiation of Adults, or RCIA. The Council also gives permission that, in mission countries, in addition to what is furnished by the Church tradition, those elements of initiation rites may be admitted, 
which are already in use among some peoples insofar as they can be adapted to the Christian ritual. Today, in all the rites, Latin and Eastern, the Christian initiation of adults begins with their entry into the catechumenate and reaches its culmination in a single celebration of the three sacraments of initiation, baptism, confirmation, and the Eucharist. In the Eastern rites, the Christian initiation of infants also begins with baptism, followed immediately by confirmation and the Eucharist. While in the Roman rite, it is followed by years of catechesis before being completed later by confirmation and the Eucharist, the summit of their Christian initiation. The mystagogy of the celebration. The meaning and grace of the sacrament of baptism are clearly seen in the rites of its celebration. By following the gestures and words of the celebration with attentive participation, the faithful are initiated into the riches the sacrament signifies and actually brings about in each newly baptized person. The sign of the cross on the threshold of the celebration marks with the imprint of Christ the one who is going to belong to him and signifies the grace of the redemption Christ won for us by his cross. The proclamation of the word of God enlightens the candidates and the assembly with the revealed truth and elicits the response of faith, which is inseparable from baptism. Indeed, baptism is the sacrament of faith in a particular way, since it is the sacramental entry into the life of faith. Since baptism signifies liberation from sin and from its instigator, the devil, one or more exorcisms are pronounced over the candidate. The celebrant then anoints him with the oil of catechumens or lays his hands on him, and he explicitly renounces Satan. Thus prepared, he is able to confess the faith of the church, to which he will be entrusted by baptism. The baptismal water is consecrated by a prayer of epiclesis, either at this moment or at the Easter vigil. The church asks God that through his Son, the power of the Holy Spirit may be sent upon the water, so that those who will be baptized in it may be born of water and the Spirit. The essential rite of the sacrament follows. Baptism, properly speaking. It signifies and actually brings about death to sin and entry into the life of the Most Holy Trinity through configuration to the Paschal Mystery of Christ. Baptism is performed in the most expressive way by triple immersion in the baptismal water. However, from ancient times, it has also been able to be conferred by pouring the water three times over the candidate's head. In the Latin church, this triple infusion is accompanied by the minister's words. Name, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In the Eastern liturgies, the catechumen turns toward the east and the priest says, the servant of God, name, is baptized in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. At the invocation of each person of the Most Holy Trinity, the priest immerses the candidate in the water and raises him up again. The anointing with sacred chrism, perfumed oil consecrated by the bishop, signifies the gift of the Holy Spirit to the newly baptized, who has become a Christian, that is, one anointed by the Holy Spirit, incorporated into Christ, who is anointed priest, prophet, and king. In the liturgy of the Eastern churches, the post-baptismal anointing is the sacrament of chrismation or confirmation. In the Roman liturgy, the post-baptismal anointing announces a second anointing with sacred chrism to be conferred later by the bishop. Confirmation, which will, as it were, confirm and complete the baptismal anointing. The white garment symbolizes that the person baptized has put on Christ, has risen with Christ. The candle, lit from the Easter candle, signifies that Christ has enlightened the neophyte. In him, the baptized are the light of the world. The newly baptized is now, in the only Son, a child of God, entitled to say the prayer of the children of God, our Father. 
First Holy Communion, having become a child of God clothed with a wedding garment, the neophyte is admitted to the marriage supper of the Lamb and receives the food of the new life, the body and blood of Christ. The Eastern churches maintain a lively awareness of the unity of Christian initiation by giving Holy Communion to all the newly baptized and confirmed, even little children, recalling the Lord's words, let the children come to me, do not hinder them. The Latin Church, which reserves admission to Holy Communion to those who have attained the age of reason, expresses the orientation of baptism to the Eucharist by having the newly baptized child brought to the altar for the praying of the Our Father. The solemn blessing concludes the celebration of baptism. At the baptism of newborns, the blessing of the mother occupies a special place. This brings us to the end of our uh, catechism selection and the end of our episode. Thanks for joining me for another week. Between this week and next week's episode, please connect with me on Instagram at Catholic Life Podcast, and I'll be praying for you. Please pray for me. In the meantime, God bless you. Thanks for joining me this week on Catholic Light. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your family and your friends, and connect with me through Facebook and Instagram. I'll see you next week, and in the meantime, God bless you.